Welcome to The Experience of You, a podcast on how to own your personal brand and have the mindset to get your goals and live your dreams. People who lead with an authentic and positive personal brand create the ultimate experience for others. And when they do, they get what they want, personally and professionally. It's not about likes and followers. Don't let others dictate your brand. Take control of it and own it. Throughout this podcast, brilliant people will help you learn how. I'm Dave Thompson, and here's this week's guest. Welcome to The Experience of You. This is a podcast about people with strong personal brands, people who create experience for others that influence how we live our lives. I'm delighted to have Rafael Andrade on this show to share his ongoing journey and the experience that have led him to a pivotal point in his life. With a career in telecommunications industry with AT&T, Agilent, JDSU, and engineering, solutions architecture, sales and business development throughout Latin America and Europe. Rafael, thanks for joining. And, and I want to start by asking that you've had a very successful career in global telecommunications and you took a, took a pause and rethought your life and career. And why don't you start and tell us why a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I had a a very fortunate career in telecommunications. I started with a small startup with great mentors and in the mid nineties. And I had an opportunity to participate in the deployment of some of the first cellular networks here in the United States and in other parts of the world. And that was obviously exciting. The technology was exciting. After a number of acquisitions, I ended up in a very large company with even more opportunities to learn. And it was a wonderful time. I, I am very grateful, met some amazing people, was very fortunate to learn from them, got to travel the world, 55 countries, doing business, met some great people there. But then it started losing its excitement for me, which was difficult for me to acknowledge because the, the technology kept advancing. The technology kept getting more interesting. My relationships with my peers were getting stronger. And I, there was something missing and, and I did not know what that was. So I started looking around. I actually started a business back in 2006, seeking for something different. It did not succeed mainly because I didn't put uh, full focus on it. I wanted to do the new business also while staying in telco. And obviously that doesn't work very well. You have to really jump off the cliff and swim. So. I kept looking, I kept reading books, kept talking to people, kept trying things. And then the universe came knocking in a very unexpected way. I didn't willingly stepped off. I actually was laid off, which my ego had a bit of an issue with that because <laughs> I'd never thought I would be laid off. I thought I, I was a, a good contributor to the company that I was with. And I remember a good friend at the time told me, congratulations, now you can dedicate yourself to what you truly want to do, to what that really drives you and puts a fire in your heart. I ended up getting some offers to go back right away. And I just thought that it was a good sign. It was a good moment to, to step off. I was in a good point in my life where I could do that. My, my children were getting uh, older, so I did not have you know small children anymore. And I just I just went with it and it's been an, an amazing experience so far. Um, still learning, still evolving, uh, still unlearning, relearning and learning new things. But here we are and it's been three, three plus years in the making. And I'm just very excited about what tomorrow brings. And you should. You're the founder of Canarium Wellness, which you've based on challenging the status quo in medicine and wellness. Share a little bit about why you think that status quo needs to be challenged. There is the obvious. We live in a great time. We live in a time where we can see the best of so many things, yet we are not at our best. We see depression rates go up. We see obesity climb in the charts. We see so many things that do not go along with the advancement 
and the knowledge and wisdom that is available to us. How can we be in the 21st century where we have access to so much information and so much knowledge and still suffer from disease that has, in many cases, self-inflicted? And I, having a father who was still a physician and a mother who was an educator, gave me the opportunity to grow up questioning things and making inquiries of things that didn't make sense. And this was one of them. If the population at large is suffering from a variety of ailments, then what exactly are we doing in the field of medicine and wellness? And that kind of started the process. I started digging. I, I don't have a background in medicine or, or in wellness, but again, there's information out there. So I started reading and started talking to people who I respected, who have dedicated their lives to it. And it became very evident that something needed to change. And that had to do with how people observe themselves and their well-being. And that was the beginning of how Canarium started. Talk a little bit about that observation and what people are doing or not doing and what's prompted that. I think that, and again, this is an ongoing project. It is a process. And this is what I, I share with, with my friends and the people who are close to me is we need to be able to partake in the process the same way science does, meaning it is not a destination. Science is not a destination. Uh, it's a process, meaning we know what we learned yesterday needs to be continued to be evaluated today because it may need to be updated. It may need to be relearned. It may need to be unlearned. We all, we've all seen that with science. And in this process as well, I think People need to be able to take the time to evaluate who they are, where they are, what is important, how they're living their lives, to become the observers of themselves, to become the observers of their thoughts, to become the observers of their behaviors and their feelings and their emotions, and then try to use that as a vehicle to try to make some change, little change, one bit at a time, to try to make improvements. For example, why am I taking... I got a good question. Why am I taking 10 pills a day? Is, is it possible for me to make a small change in my life that will allow me to take only nine? Is it possible for me to, to make a small change in my life? Nothing overwhelming, nothing that is going to demotivate you, but is it possible for me to make a small change that now will allow me to comfortably walk two miles three times a week? Right? Is it possible for me to make a small mindset change to adopt something a little bit healthier to eat three, four, five times a week? Right? It's not about getting in, in a diet that is life-changing and I'm going to change everything right away. People can do that. There's some people that can do that. And you know what? That's fantastic. Uh, I would argue they're not the majority. Uh, I think the majority of us struggle with any kind of significant change. So I've been thinking about this for quite some time, sharing it with people, seeing what kind of feedback I, I will be getting, and it seemed to resonate. Become the observer of those thoughts, those feelings, those insecurities, as you and I have talked in the past, and see if there's anything that I can do in baby steps that could allow me to make that change. And if individuals did that, and in parallel, the medical community would do that as well. And the wellness community would do that as well. Imagine where we could be if doctors could look at themselves as providers of health, as, as providers of preventative medicine, I'm sorry. What small things could they do in their practice to inspire their patients to do a little bit better. Imagine if every doctor that had a patient that's taking five, six, seven, eight pills a day would engage with their patients and say, hey, and I know that some of them do. So it's not, the onus is not only on the doctors because I know doctors who do this and their patients just don't want to, they want to take the pills. But it's got to be a collective effort, right? It's got to be a collective effort. And, and I think, although in small pockets in different parts of the world, in different parts of the country, certain doctors and certain groups of medical groups and certain wellness groups and certain individuals may be doing just what I'm talking about. I think we have the opportunity to do a lot better as a whole. Absolutely. You had personal health issues, I'm sure, that uh, influenced this, this transition for you. 
Yeah, it was a few years back. I found out it was in the time when I was still in telecommunications and I enjoyed my job so much. And my job made me travel lots of miles on, on a yearly basis. I think at one point I was somewhere on the order of 200,000 miles a year, <laughs> uh, which is a lot all over US and Europe, Latin America, and Asia. And I did not notice I was having such a great time with the technology at the time, but I did not notice that it was having an impact on my health. And I ended up, I'm not going to say that I was the main culprit. Obviously, there were probably many others. That kind of lifestyle led me away from being healthy, eating healthy, um, exercise, or lack thereof. So I ended up with a heart condition. And it was difficult to accept because I did not look or felt like I looked like someone who had a heart condition. Talk about preconceived notions of what exactly does a heart condition look like. But I had one. And I was told, you need to take these pills uh, for the rest of your life. And I had a bit of a problem with that. I, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right to be told that in the universe of things that I could be doing to improve myself, that the solution was take these pills forever. And I was 42 at the time, 41, 42, maybe even less. So it just didn't resonate. And I started making changes, reading more things. And in a way, in a parallel way, that's what started at the time, I was looking for other things to do in many different other areas. It was that particular event that led me to, when I was let go of telco, to focus on wellness versus something else. I had interest in other areas too, but wellness seemed to make sense because it was now personal. We all have relatives who suffer from some sort of ailment, but, but when it's you having that experience, that kind of changes things a little bit. And I'm happy to say that I feel good and hopefully I can continue to improve in that path towards my well-being. And we'll get into that because I'm going to ask you about the wellness suite and some of the research and ongoing studies you're doing. But I want to get to a little bit more about Canarium Wellness, an ultimate destination that you have had in your mind for this company is to help people create and live in ecosystems that are conducive to healing. So explain a little bit about that. That's the ultimate destination. What are some of the interim ways that you're trying to influence yourself and others? Yeah, no, thank you for that question. It's, it is, again, a, the entire thing is a process, but I had this thought years back where as I was exploring all these different wellness modalities that are available, there are Again, we live in a great time in history where we have access to so many good practices and tools. And the question was, we have more gyms than we've ever had. We have more personal trainers than we've ever had. We have yoga masters. We have people who do Pilates. We, we, we have all this stuff, yet there's a significant portion of the population that just doesn't show up for these things. Mm -hmm. or, or if they do, then life gets in the way and they fall off the wagon, right? So they see some results and, but then family, kids, work, all, all, all the various pandemic, all the various things that, that, that happen, it's difficult to stick to it for a lot of us, it, it, myself included. So my question was, why is that? And it came this thought that there's gotta be a way to create an environment that would jumpstart the process of feeling better. And in this environment could be a destination, a retreat, a location where people can go and experience wellness and feeling good. And they can stay with us for seven, eight, nine days and have an experience that motivates them to make a change. But that it also has to come with a path towards maintaining that after they go back to their lives, which is where the challenge is. The idea of creating these ecosystems, whether it's an ecosystem you go to or whether you transform the ecosystem you currently live in mm -hmm. into one that is more conducive for you to do the things that you know you need to be doing, but that sometimes our brain motivates us away from. And the interesting thing about that is, is that I recently was reading 
uh, a book called Atomic Habits, a great book. And this is many years later, and the author specifically talked about that, how to create an environment. And I was just so excited because the author has a magnificent story. And he said, you have to change your living space and atomic habits, meaning atomic, small changes, small little changes. And it was so inspiring to, to hear his story and then to see how he motivates people to do these changes. And so this is great. This goes really well with this thing that I've been thinking of, how to motivate people not to do something, but to make a small change in their environment so that these, this ecosystem, when they walk in from work, that they see a chair where they know they can go meditate on, or this is the chair for reading, or this is the place where I'm going to do my yoga, or this is the place that's dedicated for me to do whatever it is that you need to be doing, but to start slowly but surely converting, morphing that environment into a place that even when you're, you've had a bad day, even when you've had a, a difficult experience, that when you walk into that space, the space helps you get motivated to do those 15 minutes, those 20 minutes, right? Those 10 minutes of that activity that's going to keep you walking on that path towards wellness, right? So that conduciveness, right, of creating initially, you know, my idea was, oh, we have to create these environments. People have to come over here and then we're going to help them transform their space, and then realize that could be expensive and we may not be able to reach as many people as you want to reach. So today I'm looking at it a, a little bit differently. I'm looking at it as the environment that's conducive to healing has to come as a byproduct of changing the way that we think a little bit, meaning I need to do something in order to experience something in order to have a bit of a different life. So those three words came to me as I like, do better, feel better, live better. And again, the idea is just to not try to eat the whole, the whole elephant all at once, but do something small better. Because if you do something small better and you're consistent with it, you're going to start feeling better. And if you start feeling better, some aspects of your life are going to be better. So you're going to have a little bit of a better life. And then you can just take that as a feedback loop. And you can say, okay, I did this better. I felt better. This part of my life is now better. Case in point, I did this. I felt this. And then the doctor said, that pill you no longer have to take that one. You still have to take these nine, but that 10th one, guess what? You're done with it. What, a, what an amazing inspiration. If you could do something small that takes you off that one pill, what else could you do? So now you get that feeling, you get that inspiration, you get that motivation. Now you can create a sense of purpose, right? Somebody once said, I, I forget, one of our popular thinkers, people who have a sense of purpose don't need motivation. But motivation is useful because it gets you towards a path where then you can find your purpose. So do better, feel better, live better. You start following those three. Pretty soon you've looked around and you've transformed your environment into an environment that's conducive to healing. And you've done that all by yourself. You don't need me or, or my company to do that on your behalf. So that's been a little bit of the shift of the company. I'm in the process of changing my website and everything to, to reflect that. But yeah, that's <laughs> a long answer to your question. No, it's, it's this pathway that I think is so powerful for people to understand when the small successes lead to the dedication to the journey that's going to really transform their lives. I love cliches. You are what you eat. Positive thoughts bring positive actions. And you've talked eloquently about mind, body, spirit, and not in an ecosystem sense, but in a sense that this is all part of your destination if you work all three of those. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, again, this, this is where science can be so valuable for us, but it can also open the door for, listen, in a very respectful way, call it a little bit of confusion, collective confusion. You know, we live at a time where science has, at least from a human perspective, is taking us to, to a place where everything is compartmentalized. The gastroenterologist looks at the stomach. The pneumologist looks at the lungs and the respiratory tract. The, everybody, the ophthalmologist is looking at your eyes. When everybody is very focused in this, I believe it was Deepak Chopra who talked about this reductionist approach where I'm going to go smaller and focus on this one part. And what happens is, is we forget about the entirety of the being, right? And and I know, I know it's good. Again, we live in great times where more and more people are seeing that we need to step back and look at the human as a whole. And a human has physical matter. We are physical beings. We do have a, a spirit or a soul, independent of which type of spiritual life or religious life you have. We know that we have this, we are part of something larger than ourselves. And then we have this mind and how do you actually successfully separate those three? And I think we live in a time where we are being as a collective more and more vocal about not separating those three, but trying to find a way of embracing those three and realizing that you can't have one without the other two, or you can't have two without one missing. Right. It is a triage. It is a three-legged stool. It is a triangle. And we need to really continue on that path. Again, we live in a great time. I think a lot of people are bringing that together. You see a lot of integrative medicine, functional medicine teams all over the world working with traditional medicine, working with different modalities to try to understand how can your thoughts, for example, impact the way you feel. Mm -hmm. And how does the way you feel consistently could impact your state of ease or your state of disease? We live in exciting times and I will be happy to be able to, at some point, be able to do my little bit to help in that domain of bringing people and bringing medicine and bringing all these things that we've learned for a few millennia together to look at the individual look at the person. If you're having an ailment, my, my father taught me this, or I learned it from him indirectly, but he, as I said, he was, he is a physician and he will have these very long consultations with new patients and with existing patients where he would ask all kinds of questions about how are you doing? How's your marriage? How's family life? How's work? How's this? How's that? What did you eat this morning? What did you have over the weekend? Are you exercising? Are you smoking? Are you in a stressful situation at work? All these things that seem so foreign in within what should be talked about in the medical consultation, but that are so relevant, right? Because we have to take the person as a whole. You have a physical ailment. Is it possible that you've put yourself in a state of stress for so long that now your body is reacting negatively to that. We know this to be true. We know our thoughts can make us sick. There's so many people that are far more versed than I am that have written about this and we, we can measure these things today. So let's continue bringing them together. Let's continue pushing the envelope with uh, the medical community and the wellness community to, 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 address the individual as, as a being, mm -hmm. as a physical being, as a mindful being, and as a spiritual being all at once. And let's see where we can go from there. And that's a perfect lead into asking you about the wellness suite, because you are actively involved in setting a environment for yourself and others in which you are addressing all of those and experiencing and experimenting with different modalities and tracking the research and developing data that proves this whole body concept is so integral toward our future health, success, and happiness. So the wellness suite that you've set up, please share a little bit about that and what you're and what you're experimenting with, 
what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was very fortunate that I had some good friends that as I was leaving Telco introduced me to some technologies that have made a, quite a big impact in my life. These technologies are not new. They're, they're well known. But what we've done is integrated them uh, into processes and protocols. And again, this is with the help of some good friends that have helped me understand not only how they work as individual technologies and solutions, but how they work together and some of the things that you know you can experience. So one of those technologies is, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And there's this is a technology that's been around for a very long time. There's different modalities within that for low pressure and high pressure. A technology like that does not come without controversy because there's a lot of people around the world that have an opinion about how effective it is. You have some people that think it's the cure for all things. And then you have some others who, who presented it in a little bit of a different light. I've been using hyperbaric oxygen therapy for quite some time. I've seen the changes in me and in my life and in my well-being. And I've been able to, to fine-tune it, the use of it for myself as a function of breath work. So I've actually zoomed out a little bit from the technology. I know the technology is useful and it has this very specific benefits for different people and different types of conditions. But I was able to zoom out a little bit and say, well, what's really happening here is, yes, we're absorbing oxygen. Yes, there's a pressurization process involved to be able to facilitate that oxygen absorption through the body as you're in the chamber. But what is the fundamental mechanism that's actually taking place in here? And that's breathing. Mm -hmm. So we've zoomed out from the technology and kind of focusing on breathing. And then again, exciting times. So many great authors out there that have written so much about how we don't breathe the right way. There's a great book by uh, James Nestor, uh, Breath, that talks about this. There's, of course, all the work that Wim Hof has done, Dr. Belissa Vranich. There's so many people out there, Patrick McKeown, that have talked about breathing. And these people are experts. I am an amateur. <laughs> I experiment with myself, but I can see that breathing, improving the way we breathe, whether we do it naturally or whether we do it with the assistance of a hyperbaric chamber, has dramatic benefits for our health, benefits that are documented, benefits that, are, that, have, that have been shown through years of studies. And we've put that as one of the pillars of the, th the things that we do in the wellness suite. So on one hand, we have breath work. On the other hand, of course, we have light therapy. We are photovoltaic beings. We depend on sunlight to live. And this is a, a very interesting concept because people, when you tell somebody that if you expose yourself to this particular wavelength uh, of light, that the body is going to do A, B, and C. The average person looks at you as if you're selling some sort of a snake oil. We, as a collective, we haven't done really a good job to explain that light is, that we are photovoltaic beings, meaning that we react to light. We react to, to visible light and invisible light, to the radiation, the electromagnetic radiation that comes from the sun. And that those reactions, depending on the wavelength, could be very beneficial or it could be detrimental like UV. UV can be harmful. That's why we wear, we try to protect ourselves from too much sunlight. But there are other wavelengths in there that have been shown to have benefits for not only our circadian rhythms, but also for reduction of inflammation and increase of blood flow. And again, so much documentation out there that is available to show that this actually works and that this actually is true science and it's not just some hearsay. So you have light therapy, whether it's again, so then again, zoom out back. Obviously there's products that offer light therapy, but could you get some benefits from going outside and getting sunlight properly so that you don't get sunburned? and doing some breath work outside while absorbing the sunlight. Absolutely. Yeah, you can buy products. You know, the products are gonna facilitate if you have a hectic schedule and you don't have the time to get out, whatever, great. But there's also a lot you can do for no money. So we have talked about breathing and 
the potential use of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We have, of course, light therapy using exercising outside, spending time outside, or using products that can facilitate the absorption of those uh, wavelengths of light. And then you, of course, the, the third uh, element is movement. Movement can be very broad because there's just so many different ways that we can move today. You have Pilates, you have yoga, you have all kinds of different things that you can do today. We know that we have to move. I've seen this meme that has been going around that the number one killer of humans is the chair, right? Because we sit too long. We sit too much, which means two things. We're not moving and we're most likely not sitting in the best possible way with the best posture, with the best anatomically correct form. So when we talk about movement, is very specific about making sure that we're moving the right way, that we're going back to the natural anatomical form that we were born with. We know now that we're, we, we are born knowing how to breathe, but then over time we forget because we take bad habits. We are known... Also, we know also that we're born knowing how to walk. If you see a baby walking when they first learn how to walk, they always walk in this, obviously, unless something that there's some ailment or, or, or some disease, but if a, a healthy baby will walk around very with proper form, the back, you see them, how they, they turn around and move around. If they need to reach for something, they bend at the knees when they sit down on the floor they sit with perfect form. Their backs are always straight and their legs are straightened out. And then somewhere along the line, five, six, seven years later, they got all these bad habits and now our body suffers and we're spending all this energy just to deal with the bad form and deal with the bad movement and deal with bending on the back. And now we got back problems and now we got knee problems and now we got this and that and whatnot. So when we talk about movement, this is trying to get the individual to become aware of their physiology. It's a concept called uh, interoception, meaning internal perception. It's how do my perceiving my body? Are my legs in the right position? Is my pelvis in the right place? Are my shoulders in the right uh, position? Are my lungs filling and uh, deflating properly, right? And teaching people to, to move in a way that is more according to what, how the body wants to move. So the body wants to be healthy. The body wants to be moving gracefully. All we have to do is, is pay a bit of attention to how we're moving, follow some of the leaders in this field, whether it's connective tissue experts, movement experts that can teach us how to properly move. So this has been a big explanation of the, that the wellness suite has three basic elements, breath work, light therapy, and movement together to bring the individual uh, to a state where they're a bit more aware of themselves and more connected with themselves. And that actually takes body, mind, and soul to be able to put that together. The moment you start breathing rhythmically in a, in a modality, you start, your mind start going places, you start feeling this release. So again, it's an idea. We are, we, we're offering it, you know, to, to volunteers. We're getting a lot of feedback back and at some point we'll be able to publish some of those results. It's beautiful. And I will be experiencing that. Uh, yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Talk about the wellness journey that you're on and, and the wellness journey that you're facilitating for others. And is it the core of, of what you want to do and what you want Canarium to be? What other passions do you have in your daily life that, that fuel your motivation, your interests? That's a good question. I've been very fortunate. I have a desire to learn more of what I don't know, or maybe to relearn something I learned that has now been updated. And I'm trying to surround myself with people. My business partner, Jesslyn, who is a movement specialist, she has been opened my eyes to a lot of different ways of looking at the body. And that concept of uh, interoception and proprioception and biotensegrity, these are concepts that have been written about, but I, that I had no idea. So when you ask me that question, the first thing that comes to mind is I really am trying to, what motivates me is I'm trying to, to dabble and become aware of 
many different things. You, you've heard this many times when there are people that are a mile deep, a foot wide. I was never a, a worldwide expert in telco, but I had a good understanding of telecommunications. Now, I'm not an expert in any specific thing that we've discussed so far when it comes to wellness, but I'm trying to position myself in a place where I know little bits about lots of things, and then I connect with people who are experts in those fields, mm -hmm. right? Because I think for me, that motivates me. If I have a gift, it is the gift to bring things that don't seem like they could go together and bringing them together. And I've realized that the best way to do that for me, that works for me is I find a new topic, something that is interesting, something that is related, study it for a while, read a book or two about it, read a few articles about it. Reading a book, reading two, three books, reading 10 articles doesn't make you an expert. It gives you a general understanding because the experts are the people who wrote it. And when you open a book, you'll see all the references. There's hundreds of references in some of these books. So it's not the idea of becoming an expert on movement or an expert on light therapy. I know experts on light. I know experts on hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I know experts of movement, but what motivates me and keeps me going is that I can learn little bits and pieces from these people and from these books and these uh, articles, magazines, journals, websites. And at some point in that process, inevitably, an idea pops up where two, three of these things could come together in a cohesive way that could be useful to someone. So I stay motivated by reading by by having interesting conversations with people that know a lot more about me uh, a, a lot about a, a lot more about these topics than me i'm sorry and then meditating and see how could these things possibly connect and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and that's okay so this is all in a journey for you to understand the whole mind body spirit connection and how we can control, live our lives in the way that we want to, that be a... I would rephrase that a little bit because I don't know that uh, as a collective, we'll get to the point where we can understand that body-mind connection. When you listen to some of the folks that are doing great work on that, Sam Harris talks a lot about this on the hard problem of consciousness and free will. And there's many others that, that are talking about this and are trying to figure it out. And it's, maybe we will someday. We're not there yet. So what I try to do is to, to take what we know and see how it applies to me and how does it fit within the process? Because again, it's a process, not a destination. You don't ever get anywhere. You just continue to walk a path and you may change paths, but you're continuing to walk. The only way you get anywhere is if you stop walking, <laughs> right? So this body, mind, spirit, or body, mind, and soul triage, I think it's just an ongoing adventure and you learn from yourself. You know, I look back at a younger version of myself who thought had so many things figured out. And I just look at that version of myself with compassion and empathy. Yeah, and I, I didn't, I thought I had it figured out and evidently I didn't. So I can see very easily how 20 years from now, that version of myself can look back at me today and be like, yep, you thought you were controlling things. In reality, you weren't. So what I'm hoping to do is just to create a new version of myself 20, 30 years from now that looks back and says, I was walking the path. I was just going through a process as opposed to trying to figure this out. I like to believe that I, everything that I'm doing is coming together as tools, as habits, instruments that will in some way or fashion facilitate the process of walking mm -hmm. on that path. Because that's one thing. If, if there is one thing I know about that, trying to find the mystery of body, mind, and soul is that it's going to take some walking. So all I, all I can do is continue to empower myself with tools, surround myself with people that can help me and inspire me to continue walking. Mm -hmm. 
That's well stated. So talking about yourself then, what is the experience of you? What are the perceptions that you seek to create in meeting others and developing relationships with people who you either, who either influence you or you seek to learn from? I think that this experience, again, this is the current version of me. Some people that have known me in the past, I was a very different person many years ago. I think for now, uh, this version of myself, this experience of who I am is an individual who is seeking. Mm -hmm. uh, is an individual who is, I forget who the, who the, don't quote me on this, but I think it was a Renaissance a thinker, a Renaissance a philosopher who said that he woke up every day prepared to find out that everything he knew was wrong. And he was prepared to then having to relearn it all over again. And that seems pretty dramatic and catastrophic in some ways. Imagine that you wake up one day and everything you know about life you know, spirituality, everything we've been talking about, it's just completely incorrect. That could be devastating. I, I like to believe that I'm preparing myself to be able to, to wake up every day that way, that I'm not attaching myself to any specific thing. And of course, that's a process too. Some days you attach yourself to things, but as long as you're observing yourself and you're realizing that this is what's happening, you can continue to get back in the bank on the, on the path. So this experience of me as a seeker is somebody who's trying to, to figure out what are the good tools that are available to me today that I can uh, that I can use. What are some of the tools that I've been using for a while that are no longer serve me? What can I read? If I have a if I have a challenge in front of me, what can I read? What can I do? Who can I ask uh, for help for guidance? That is what I feel I am most of the time. Again, we all have our moments, and and God knows I have mine, but. That is the process. That is the path that I'm trying to be in as, as far as experience of who I am today is someone who is seeking, someone who is looking for tools, someone who is looking to unlearn non-useful concepts and precepts, who is willing to relearn ideas that have been updated and open to learning things that may be really challenging to the mind and hopefully be open to the human experience in a way that it is productive for those that are around me. That's, again, beautifully said. What do you respond to in others? What characteristics and traits do you value in your personal and professional relationships? I think that's a big question. I respond well to people who are open. And openness you know, in itself is a broad field, if you will, because I think of openness, the ability of someone to be in the presence of others, of presence of others, and be open about the things that fill their life, but also the things that frighten them. I think somewhere along the line, as a collective, we learned, we were taught that being vulnerable is a weakness. And what you find is you find people that could be open to you about the things that they're excited about, the things that uh, fill their lives, the things that are sources of happiness and joy, but they're not open about the things that they fear or the things that are dragging them down. And it's not that you're going to be out there telling everybody everything that's bothering you. That's not by any way, by any means what I'm alluding to, but it is the ability to recognize that vulnerability is actually one of our key strengths as humans, that being vulnerable towards a particular situation, a person is, it gives us the ability to know that that's where we need to put some work in. We as a species, amongst the various things that, that, that got us to where we are today, vulnerability is one of the main, one of the key elements that allowed us to be where we are today as a species. How many of us can go one toe-to-toe, one-on-one -to -toe, one with a grizzly bear? Not many. Uh, grizzly wins 100% of the time unless we have some 
modern tools because they're bigger, they're more powerful, they're stronger. We realized that very early on in, in our evolution that we need to work together because we may be able to communicate better than the grizzly bears. But unless we work together, we will never be able to take one down if that is the goal. So being vulnerable is actually in the acknowledgement of that is it's a good and useful tool that it is a strength that leads, leads us to lots of good things if properly used. So when you talk about some of the things that I, I look for a lot of things, but if there's one thing I could pick is that openness. If somebody is open and open to their virtues, but also open to share their shortcomings, open to share the things that make them happy and that make them tick, but also open to share their insecurities and the things that drag them down. I want to have that conversation because as you know me, I share the things that drag me down, the things that, that, that weigh me down. And I think that is the best way to connect. When you can connect with an individual, having a conversation with a person, that is one of the most beautiful things a human can experience is to look at somebody in the eyes, talk about something that is important, of equal importance, and be able to have that connection. That's a beautiful thing. And I would argue that the only way, not the only way, I don't like to be binary, but one of the good ways to facilitate that connection is through openness, is to be open to the, to the possibilities of where that conversation can go. Lovely. First impressions and openness. We are energetic and vibratory humans and beings, and you meet so many people in, our, in your life, and you have, and in all of our lives, Talk about first impressions and, and, and what, you, what drives you, what attracts you to others when you meet somebody. That is a good question. I, again, I've been very lucky, very fortunate, very blessed to have really um, good people across uh, my path at some point or another. I will have to say that you have to answer that question in, you know, with, with two ways. First one is more of a spiritual way. If I look back and I'm honest with myself, I I can tell around the time to the you know to prop to the year resolution when all of a sudden I started meeting more and more interesting people that started having an impact in my life. And I have to say that started happening when I started to become more an observer of myself, when I started doing more meditation. And meditation, again, is, is, is something, it's a practice, it's something that you try to do as best as possible. And when I started doing that, things started happening. People started appearing in, in my path through friends of friends. And Things that normally I would say no to, I started saying yes to, and then that led to others. You know, so there was some. There's something to be said about being in a place where, whether it's through meditation or through prayer, if, if you're a religious person, through prayer to try to connect with the higher source. That all of a sudden, if you start paying attention and you're looking around, that interesting people are going to start appearing, and then it is up to you to engage in that in that relationship. So that that's for one thing is that I try to continue to do is to try to continue to invest time in those 10, 15 minutes a day to, to do prayer, to do meditation, to try to reconnect and become more self-aware because I've seen that in my life that has opened so many doors and all of which I'm very grateful for. Even the ones that didn't seem like they were good doors, there was a lesson to be learned there too. But to the other side of your question is, you know, what, what do I'm attracted to is I seem to now be more and more attracted to people who are also in that journey of self-discovery. And by that, I don't mean what you're in social media. If, if you look at social media, everyone is having these amazing lives. Right? They're, they're doing all, all these great things and that's okay. That's part of the process. That's part of the path. But I, 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 I seem to be getting more and more attracted to, to people who are in a path of discovery, who, for people to, who are open to, this is the way I was doing it, but I, I, it just doesn't feel right anymore. Maybe it could be done differently. What do you think? Having that level of openness and vulnerability, that's attractive. I want to have those conversations because I know I'm going to learn a lot. So there's, you can maybe say that's a selfish reason, but I know if somebody is in a path of self-discovery and if somebody's in a journey of 
trying to reinvent themselves. If somebody is in a journey of trying to change careers and trying to do something that's more meaningful, whatever meaning is, right, to them, even if it's not something I'm interested in doing. The fact that they're in that process of self-discovery, that they've decided to walk that path of that journey of trying to reinvent themselves and that they're trying, they're looking for tools and, and techniques to do. Yeah, that's exciting. That those conversations and that they can be about technology, they can be about literature, they can be about history, they can be about music, it can be about anything. Those conversations are always so fulfilling. They they just uh, I just feel amazing every time I can have a conversation like that with someone. And by your openness and your willing to assess on a continual basis, you're I'm paraphrasing, you feel people's positive impressions on you almost immediately. It is, it is almost like a magical thing, right? When you can connect with someone that is walking a path and they're trying to figure it out. And the body language, they look at you in the eyes. You can see the, the body language of either the things that worked out or the things that didn't work out and the struggles and the lessons learned and the joys and then the moments of rest, because it's, yeah, we want to keep walking, but that's overall, you need to stop sometimes to rest and how someone telling their story can be a very physical experience because you see the person and you can feel their energy and you can see their eyes and you can see what happened that either was joyful or what was painful. And then you can feel that joy or that empathy or compassion for what they went through. There's a plethora of things one can learn from a 20-minute conversation that is open where there's no agenda other than to share. Yes. Rafael, an hour with you is more than well spent. And <laughs> this will be the first of several interviews with you as we track and follow and experience together your journey that I'd like you to share with our with our audiences periodically. Absolutely. I will be happy to come back. Rafael Andrade, founder of Canarium Wellness, person who's a seeker, a person who's a facilitator, and who is looking to help people do better, feel better, live better. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to The Experience of You. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others who are currently trying to land a job, transition careers, or are looking to improve their professional brand. To catch all the latest workshops, resources, and insights from the Career Coach Pros community, you can follow us on Instagram at Career Coach Pros and on Twitter at Career Coach Pros. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.